Exodus chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17. And we will keep in mind what we heard yesterday and what we have read. We will understand more why perhaps the message was a bit forceful. Why the rebuke for the children of Israel was severe and getting more severe. We'll see this morning, once again, they charged Moses and Aaron, God, with trying to kill them in the wilderness. As they get relief, they seem to forget their wickedness momentarily. But then they go back to the same thing. God is presenting this to us. We have entered the book of Exodus as God has led us and read these 16 chapters so we can look at it closely make sure that we're not like these people, the first generation that was so rebellious against God. At the same time, we see God's tender mercies as we review our own lives how many times we have not done what God said to do. On the contrary, went far away. It's always a good thing, always a good thing to remember from where God took us so that we are mindful not to go back there. Exodus 17, verse 1, Then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin according to the commandment of the Lord and camped in Rephidim but there was no water for the people to drink we saw this happening before we saw the reaction. In Psalm 78, in verse 18, it's written, And they tested God in their heart by asking for the food of their fancy, of their desire. Yes, they spoke against God. They said, Can God prepare a table in the wilderness and it's written behold he struck the rock so that the waters gushed out and the streams overflowed can he give bread also can he provide meat for his people therefore the Lord heard this and was furious so a fire was kindled against Jacob and anger also came up against Israel but this happened because they did not believe in God and did not trust in salvation. So you see the psalmist explaining what actually happened in addition to the narrative here in Exodus, the historical narrative. 
we see the Apostle Paul speaking of this also, as we mentioned briefly yesterday. We need to read the Bible to grasp the content of the history of the truth. Then we need to read the Bible to study what God has said about that particular thing we are reading elsewhere in the scriptures so that we're no longer children tossed to and fro claiming that we don't understand something. When God has made everything available in the scriptures, we're called to be diligent so that we can go forward. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. If you have the scriptures opened, someone please read from verse 1 to verse 11. First Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 to 11. Praise God, Pastor. Can you hear me? Praise God. Yes, Prashant, I can hear you. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 to 11, NIV version. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. Praise God. Praise God. Then follows the admonition from hearing this. God himself, the Holy Spirit, telling us that if we are familiar with what happened to the Israelites in the book of Exodus, if we have read that and heard that as we have been in the past several weeks, the sum of it is they are written for you 
and for me. Exodus was written for me and for you. As an example, as a warning, as a caution, because we are going to come to the end of the age quite soon in the scheme of human history orchestrated by God. God is wrapping everything up. We see all the signs. We see the worldwide plague, unprecedented. Unprecedented. A COVID plague on a global scale. And the reaction of the human race, not a nation or a few nations or some region or a hemisphere, the entire world. The Lord said, pestilence will come in the last days. These are one of the signs. Matthew 24. Wars and rumors of wars. Earthquakes in various places. False teachers, false prophets, many coming saying that I'm Christ. We have more cults, more false religion today, truly, than in any period of history on two accounts. One is because of the population and dissemination of information from hell going rapidly to the various technological mediums. But secondly, because there is a hyperactivity of demonism as we're approaching the return of Christ. With all these things, the Bible says here, always current, never outdated. If we remember the Exodus story that occurred some 3,500 years ago, the conclusion is, God says they were written for our example as an example or examples to us to warn us upon whom the ends of the world are come. Now is our salvation nearer than when we first believed, the Bible says. We're saved. We are being saved. We will finally be saved. We have been redeemed. We are being redeemed. We will finally be redeemed. And that's why the scripture says, Look up for your redemption draws nigh. We have to make it. There are many, many snares and pitfalls. Many people, many people, how sad, how extremely distressing it is to know many people have tasted of Christ and fallen away. Remember, upon whom the miracles of God has come. This people that he says, you're my special treasure. You are my people and I'm your God. He gave them the law. He gave them the miracles. He gave them deliverance. He gave them redemption. 
He gave them everything on how to approach Him and worship Him and live with Him. The entire population was destroyed, overthrown in the wilderness. They're gone. Verse 5 says, After the Lord gave them drink, a drink, after they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, the rock was Christ. Verse 5 says, But with many of them God was not well pleased. doesn't stop there. Lest anybody should misunderstand. Not something that you didn't please mommy or daddy and or the school teacher and now you're going to be given time out, made to sit on the side, given a little chastisement and punishment, have your allowance withheld. The Bible says here, with many of them, God was not well pleased. The next part says, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. They were destroyed, as you see the history of it. Again, lest anyone should misunderstand overthrown. You see the next verse. They lusted after evil things. We understand Desiring water is not evil. Surely that's not evil. Desiring food to live is not evil. Surely they need food to eat. God knows that. Why is it evil? What was evil about it? It says that they committed idolatry. There were people that couldn't be satisfied. Do you know anyone like that? No matter how much the Lord does, there's a dissatisfaction. I've got to be like the Joneses next door or that student or that man on the job. I'm not satisfied until I get his place, her position. Going further, I want to go back to the world. In the world, I was able to party I was able to stuff my face and nobody could regulate me. I didn't have to be under any shepherds. I didn't have to be in any church family. I didn't have to be under anybody's control. So the devil twists everything that God gives for good. It's like a child that is foolish, steeped in rebellion, led by demonic spirits that says, I'm going to cast off every restraint and restriction from my parent. Go out into the world like the prodigal son and be my own person. Nobody can tell me when to get up. Nobody can bother me to go to school or to eat my veggies. I'm my own person. These people, it's revealed, served themselves. Hence, the devil sat on the throne of their hearts. They lusted exceedingly, it says also in the Psalms. They weren't satisfied, obviously, with the basic human need met. 
They wanted more, and hence they complained more and more and more and murmured more and more. There were people who were consumed by unlawful desire and the need for water and bread turned into lusting for what they wanted in terms of how they felt they can be satisfied. Isn't that why relationships break off? People become antagonistic and unfaithful and all kinds of evil and hell break loose in relationships because you're not pleasing to me. Irreconcilable differences. Let's go and get divorced. I can't stand that person. Why? Not meeting my needs. What are the needs? Often needs translate to lusts. Strong desires to deify, glorify, pamper oneself. Someone cannot pamper me. It's goodbye. Do you know this is how they treated the Lord? In spite of Him giving everything. When God tested them to see what was in their hearts. And that is the test of love. When things don't go right. Are we willing to stick with other people, especially the living God in His body, the true church? The true church worldwide, made up of members who are truly born again by the blood of Jesus, all over the world, from east to west, north and south, are we able to stand in solidarity, willing to suffer affliction when the people of God are going to affliction, or do we check out and say bye? I remember a young man years ago who says whenever he sees something negative, he moves away. No matter what sphere in life. On the one hand, it's a safety measure when it comes to evil things. On the other hand, it's a cowardice behavior, cowardly behavior. And a self-preservation instinct that is foreign to the cross of Christ. Say that when something is not going my way or looking good, it's bad luck, bad vibes, I'm going to move away to someplace else that's more pleasant. How many people have relocated only to find that disaster followed them where they relocated to? Because the problem was not with their environment. It was within their inner man. These people were not satisfied to have their human need met. As I remember one child saying years ago, when the mother prepared good food, sitting on the couch in the living room, screaming, I want McDonald's. I want McDonald's. When the mother prepared a wholesome food with diligence and love, 
expecting the child to be like the other children in the house, thankful and eat the food quietly, sitting on the couch, screaming, I want McDonald's. This food I can't take. God have mercy. Have we ever cried out to the Lord, insisted on food of our own fancy, as we read in the Psalms? Things that appeal to us, not necessarily what the will of God is and whether the basic need is met, whether God wants to beautify, embellish, and give more. God has so much for us. But to insist, I have to have it my way. A very real problem to be listened to and be warned to have a check in our own spirits when we're driving. When we're driving on the road, whether by ourselves or with a family, seeing the sights and thinking thoughts, we realize we need the Word of God, such as in Exodus, to guide us, otherwise our thoughts will go elsewhere. Our attitudes can be rebellious. Our aspirations and desires could be anti-Christian. How thankful we ought to be. We have the Word of God to guide us. The voice within us, behind us, telling us this is the way. Don't go that way. Just as we drive a vehicle, follow the caution signs and the directions, the navigator, if it's working correctly, the Word of God will never misguide us. There will be a check in our spirit even when we're talking within ourselves and thinking, talking with your spouse or your children or grandchildren or your Christian brother or sister or your friends, colleagues. Within yourself, when nobody is around, the thoughts that come, the Word of God would come and check any deviation. Hallelujah. To know how I may have crossed the line from requiring and requesting, desiring and pleading with God, believing God for the best to meet the need that I have, crossing over ever so subtly perhaps, into idolatry. I want more. And I want, it, I want it that way, Lord, not this way. Even though you're telling me this is what's good for me now, I want that, not this. It can occur in so many ways in our thinking. It's deadly to our souls. Dearly beloved, I beseech you, I'm pleading with you, as strangers and pilgrims in this world, hold yourself back, abstain from fleshly lusts, not just immorality, any kind of desire, any desire whatsoever that is carnal, which is opposite to God's desire, because they will war against your soul. Uh, desire that is ungodly, no matter if it's relating to our bodies, our curiosity, 
our appetites, material things, whatever it is. The Bible has much to say about covetousness and desires. If they cross the line from being godly to ungodly, we are inviting demons to come and live in the home with bows and arrows and artillery and all kinds of weapons pointed against you know who? Ourselves. We are telling the devil essentially when we harbor a lust or a desire, I'm open game, it's hunting season, come kill me. The Bible says, desires that are not keeping with the Holy Spirit war against our souls. Why did God say such words? So somebody will listen and understand they're in trouble spiritually before a fall happens and they wonder, why am I here? How did I get in this pit? When did I get on that cliff and jump off? I don't even know. We're called to be free from every lust, ungodly desire. Free from every attack of the devil that has not been allowed by the Lord to strengthen us, to show His glory. Self-inflicted wounds are a shame. But we are called to observe the caution of Scripture. So it's written that they were lusting after evil things. You recall Daniel in Babylon. He had access to the delicacies and the meat from the king. He refused to touch it. Daniel was a man, such as we read in the book of Proverbs, who had a knife to his throat in the spiritual sense, against the flesh. Any carnality did not rule over that teenager, Daniel, all the way up into his 80s or 90s when he finished his course as the angel told him from God, you're greatly beloved. You did your part. You ran a good race. Now, you're going to rest until the time of your reward. Hallelujah. Why can't we be like that? Our high calling to be overcomers, to be alert, wise as serpents, harmless as doves, to know oneself. Someone says it's after battle. But it's not all the battle. We need the understanding of how to take care of the situation. We need to fast and pray if something is overpowering us. Seek God's power to overpower that darkness, dark desire. It's dangerous for the soul to let it go, to cover it up with some band-aid spirituality. Crucify it. These people in the wilderness, they should have crucified their lusts, but they encouraged each other in the same thing and rallied together with one voice against Moses and against God. Moses was there too. He was faithful in all God's house. Daniel put a knife to his throat 
as we read in the book of Proverbs, that he will not desire, would not desire, delicacies of the enemy. He was consecrated. These people in the wilderness should have simply requested, albeit in desperation, we have no water, it's been three days, Moses, we know God is with us. He's a faithful God. We just saw what he did. We know you hear from God internally. We are worried, but we need you to speak to God. Can you tell us what's happening, please? But we will not murmur against God or against you. That's not the approach at all. They took, demanded, murmured, complained, falsely accused, slandered God. How quickly our thoughts and our words can go exactly in line with Satan against God who loved us so much. And if they should have taken the right approach, the first approach, and they received the water miraculously, they should have bowed down on their faces to the ground and said, Oh Lord, you're faithful. You see, Lord, if we just were a little patient, we would have come to where? Elam. Plenty of water. Now, I'm going to absorb this lesson. And going forward, my faith will be stronger. Leaning on the everlasting arms. Trusting that God will bring me through because He did it before. I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to murmur. I'm not going to insist on my way or the highway. God's way. And they could have said, Lord, will you give us more blessings? Make requests humbly, with faith. And have a heart to yield to God, whatever He answers. Didn't Caleb, Caleb's daughter, ask for more when the inheritance came to her? Wasn't she heard? Didn't the Lord Jesus say, how much more will the Heavenly Father give you good things? If you ask Him. But it's important for us to understand what our motivations are, how we ask, with what attitude, and whether we are surrendered to God's will and happy, thankful to the Lord, full of Rejoicing, my Father loves me. He will only give me the best. And I can wait. Or I want to take off as soon as things don't seem to work out or appear the way we want it to. So it's wonderful that we have the Word of God to really do a thorough examination of the heart. But beware who you read the Word of God with. We need the Holy Spirit, not the devil. The devil can gloss over, as I've seen, many teen challenges and Walter Hoving places all over the country we've been. Many churches, all kinds of ethnic churches, non-denominational churches, interdenominational churches, Bible study groups, 
the Bible is not revered as the word of God where every word pierces the heart to make room for light to enter in darkness to leave but there's a lot of band-aid Christianity happening and too many lukewarm people encouraging people who are outrightly rebellious against God encouragement must only follow discouragement of evil That's why over and over again the Bible says examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Repent thoroughly. Godly sorrow worketh repentance that leads to life not to be repented of. Not a yo-yo Christianity. God says get over it. Over what? Not like the world says it callously. God says get over sin. It'll kill you. What is sin, Lord? Smoking, drinking, lying, stealing, and committing adultery. Yes, but also complaining. It's written here, because they complained, they were destroyed of the destroyer, 1 Corinthians 10.10. How strongly God cautions us not to be dissatisfied and complain. Obviously, we're taking time to read this and expound it because God finds it extremely grievous and a cause for destruction of his own people. This dissatisfaction, deifying or making myself God, my desires, what I want. You need to come under control of the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, I'm not driving anywhere today unless it's in your will. I'm not picking up anything, Lord. Unless it's your will. Too many co-pilots with God. God has to be the head. And all the congregations of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys according to the commandment of the Lord and pitched in Rephidim and there was no water for the people to drink. We just read in Psalm 78, God purposely tested them. He didn't let them die. But he wanted to know, are you going to believe me after all I've done? Now, you already complained. A few times already. Now, what are you going to do this time? Wherefore, the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide you with me? Wherefore do you tempt the Lord? Again, complaining. And the people thirsted there for water. And the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? Moses, God, you're trying to kill us here again. And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto this people? They'd be almost ready to stone me. It's uh, almost unbelievable 
when you read this with the help of the Holy Spirit, how horribly, desperately wicked and no wonder God called them and Moses called them stiff-necked people. You cannot turn these people to the right way. And yet God said in 1 Corinthians 10, see if you can find yourself among the children of Israel. It's written as a warning for you. God, I never asked you for quail. Ever. I guess I'm okay. Lord, I don't remember the last time I started crying for water from you. I have plenty of it. So I guess I'm off the hook. Doesn't apply. Can we go to Leviticus? Maybe I'll find something there about me to help me. Oh, I don't see much here at all, Lord. I think I'll go to the gospel. Oh, the cross, the cross. That applies to me. I need Jesus. He puts a spark in my life, spring in my step. He makes the dark clouds go away. And I'm happy. The same Jesus was also in the Judean wilderness, tempted of the devil. Never complained. Showed us how to live. Even when deprivations appear. Man does not live by bread only, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. For every situation Jesus to be humble to say Lord I have an obstacle I have a problem I have a multitude of problems Lord I have I'm overwhelmed when my soul is overwhelmed within me lead me to the rock that's higher than I they should have said that they should have said Moses no water again the little ones are crying or we're crying probably the adults were crying more than the little ones with unbelief and slander It wasn't a simple question. Can we have water, please? Or can you please pray? We want to pray. Lord, please help us. No. We don't have water. Give us water. You want to kill us. That's why you brought us out here. Oh, God, where are you? Be careful when you say those things. Even, oh, God, where are you? Because the implication in that statement is that God has disappeared. He doesn't love you. He doesn't care about you. And people do that all the time. It's not like it's a, the trial of their lives where they're in a deep darkness and affliction like Gethsemane or on the cross. Anytime things don't go my way, anytime somebody does me wrong or attitudes don't seem to be right and I'm beginning to be suspect or suspicious, a host of problems and demons come in. Can a Christian slander the very God who saved him or her? If he or she wants to, yes. We need to have a great check on ourselves. As the Bible says, don't be like the horse or mule which must be held in with bit and bridle lest it come near you. Before we respond to pain, we should judge ourselves. 
and say, wait a minute. Something's not right within my heart. The way I'm talking to God, even from my heart, the Spirit of God is checking me right now. I'm going to yield to that. Say, Lord, I'm sorry. Everything's fine outside. I may have the greatest day. But something's lurking within. I have to crucify. That's all. And get over it. Not carry and say, oh, something's wrong with me. I don't know what to do. And go in from Monday to Tuesday to Saturday to January to March to... That's just... To Cain, sin is at your door. Take care of it. It's going to master you. That's all. Believers, Christians of all people, have everything necessary, including the comforter in all his power, to absolutely slay every sinful tendency. God said in Romans 6.14, For sin shall not have dominion over you. Period. Not under law, you're under grace. Even without all that we have, these people were expected to be like Moses, who was also on the road, walking with God, learning. Like Abraham, their forefather. And the people thirsted there for water, and the people murmured again against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt? To kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, these people are ready to kill me, Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the Lord, uh, before the people and take with you the elders of Israel and your rod with which you struck the river. Take that in your hand. They saw it. They saw it in Egypt. What God did through Moses. Behold, I will stand before you there upon the rock in Horeb. God said, I'm coming down. They're complaining. They want to kill you, Moses. I'm coming down. Still a gracious God. He's not happy because they're so wicked, these people, who he poured so much grace on. And the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel and also take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb and you shall strike the rock and water will come out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah. That's where they tempted the Lord. They contended with the Lord because of the contention of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord saying, is the Lord with us or not? Is he among us or not? Imagine a parent having a child or if you have a grandchild. Almost every minute. Do you, do you really love me? It's not a question from a child that's been shattered by hatred and strife, ill treatment, coming to find reassurance innocently until the child is healed. No. A child that has been 
fed and maybe overfed, given everything. Pampered. Who knows the sacrifice of the parent and the grandparent or whoever it is, the guardian. Challenging the faithfulness and the goodness of that parent or grandparent. To the point of saying, you don't love me. Imagine hearing that constantly. How it would send a sword through our hearts. They're doing it to Almighty God. Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. God is so good. He continues the program. You see, He knows. Some people are going to stay a lot of people are going to leave. God knows that already. Because he knows what's in their hearts. They want to be my congregation. They want the benefits. They want the title. They want the affiliation. They want everything. But their hearts, they will tell their feet where to go. Now listen to me. Come back and cry all God, will you pardon me when I do this sin? I know it's a sin. But I still want to be in the group that's going to the promised land, to Canaan. But every now and then I'll go to Baal's house and worship a little bit. One day, that little bit will be a permanent full stop to all activity. Judgment will fall if we play games with God. How graphically we see that virtually every day. Now Amalek came. God continues. There are going to be battles. I'm going to bring my people through. Those who are unworthy, they will fall off the train, off the bus, even, well, the vehicle's in motion. Even as God continues his plan of salvation and redemption his timeline for every event those who are faithful will make it the unfaithful will not make it so here God continues his plan now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim and Moses said to Joshua choose us some men and go out and fight with Amalek tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill and so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek, the enemy prevailed. How long can you hold your arms up? Moses is a human being. But Moses' hands became heavy. So they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. We know that the various interpretation teachings of this particular incident is equated to prayer. 
quite a number of things. One is that we should not give up, just as the Lord Jesus said in the Gospel of Luke, that men ought always to pray and not faint. When you're feeling weary, when you're feeling like you can, that's the time to pray all the more for a breakthrough. God will come through. Perseverance in prayer, not giving up. Continuing to say, Lord, I love you. You're the best. You're almighty, Lord. You will never leave and forsake me. Recount the promises of God, even as the temperature is increasing, the pressure is increasing, the trial is getting worse. Oh, my God, help us. You are good. You are good. You are good. I will bless you and praise your name. Lord, you are good. For your mercy endures forever. Continue to persevere like that. God will come through. To be able to stand in prayer with others who are praying sincerely. And here, there must be another lesson. Within that lesson, a very necessary caution, which you may have never heard before. That is, Aaron and her were not fooling around. If they would have been in sin, they could not hold Moses' hands up. May the Lord speak to us. They were in solidarity with the man of God because they, in this particular time, were faithful, spiritually alert, and diligent to be able to hold up those holy hands of Moses, holy arms, with their own sanctified arms. Who you pray with is important. Who you ask prayer for from is important. Who prays for you is important. Just as we heard recently, again, about who baptizes you, who gives you the Lord's supper and communion. May the Lord give us understanding. Verse 13, So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. God gives us victory over the flesh. We say, Lord, but there's more. I can see that I'm like a little baby, Lord, still crying and tantruming. Oh, God, when will I ever be free from this carnality? I'm so unstable, oh, God. Have you ever cried to God like that? That's an excellent first step. Far better than covering it up, this big problem that can cause a lot of loss and devastation to oneself and the kingdom of God. To think that I'm okay, I'm not a bad person, I'm okay. I pray, I read, I help. But really to see, within my heart, things aren't settled. I'm not dependable before God, I'm not. I waver, I, I flip. It's a good thing to cry to the Lord. The Lord, I've abused your grace, Lord. I should be so far away from where I am now spiritually. With all that you've given me, Lord. 
all that you've shown me. Where you have placed me, Lord. But I need you, Lord. Help me. Help me to grow up, oh Jesus. Help me, Lord. It's not your fault, Lord. It's my fault. But I'm not going to sit here crying in my mess. I'm going to look to you to pull me up and do what I have to do to get strong, be alert, mature. Our spiritual maturity in large measure depends upon us because God has provided everything we need to grow. They defeated Amalek here. God said, it's not over. I'm going to give you total victory. That's just like what we heard in Romans 6.14. Can someone please read that verse again? That was quoted earlier. Romans chapter 6, verse 14. God, Pastor. Uh, Romans 6, 14, NLT version. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirement of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Amen. Amen. Praise God. God's grace is power. It's not just a freebie and a bailout. God's grace is power. To live free. Amalek will be utterly blotted out from under heaven. Your enemy will be no more. You will mature where God can trust you. You will become strong where you can lead people and they can look at you how stable you are spiritually and how you weather the storms faithfully, loyal to Jesus exalting God and persevering through to victory. What an impact upon people who look to you as a Christian. Who are growing. God's promises Amalek will be wiped out from under heaven. It's just the beginning, Joshua. Notice it says, I want you, Moses, to recount it in the hearing of Joshua. He's going to lead the people later. God is preparing. Do you know that the privilege that you and I have to hear the truth of God, the pure word of God as it is, no gimmicks, no twisting or perverting of Scripture, no sugarcoating the potent word of God, no dilution. There's a reason for it. We are special. Most people don't get to hear what you're hearing. There's an accountability for that. There's a responsibility we have with what we have heard. God will require it at our hands. To him that has, more will be given. To the one that doesn't have, even that which he seems to have will be taken away, God says. God is not playing games. He will see who is serious and who is going to be worth my time. Basically, that's what God says. Whoever loves 
anyone more than me. Anything, even his own life, is not worthy of me. But when I see that God is telling me, I will wipe out your enemy, you will be free. Even though you have insisted on being carnal or immature, and you're always looking for excuses as to why you need to be pampered and comforted while you're struggling with sin. Now you realize that's not the right way at all. Be careful who you walk with and who you seek counsel from or comfort from. You want the truth and nothing but the truth, the whole truth. Because it is the truth that will set you free. God says, I will help you so that all that carnality will be destroyed. And Moses built an altar and called its name, The Lord is my banner. Jehovah or Jehovah or Yahweh, my victory. But he said, because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So the Holy Spirit is written of in the book of Galatians as being at war with the flesh in this arena of the human heart. There's a great battle happening in one who has been snatched from death and darkness. As we follow Christ the devil tries to incite the flesh to rouse it up, rile it up, wake it up so that God's plan can be hindered and we can get hurt. But there's a Holy Spirit on our side furious against the devil and against the flesh ready to help us do what? Put it to death. Mortify the deeds of the body through the spirit so we can live. The Lord is my banner. He is my victory. I will overcome every sinful tendency and put to death the flesh. If I can soar in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, run in the Spirit, soar, fly in the Spirit. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father, for your truth. Help everyone, Lord, to Remember what you want to communicate, Lord, to each of us, where we are, so we can drop into the head, which is Christ. Thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit, I pray that none of what you communicated, Lord, be lost, but remembered, meditated on, Lord, and put to use. We can grow and become strong. You can use us to defeat Amalek until Amalek is no more. Use the word working in us with tender consciences that we can become like Joshua. Enter the promised land. Have that total victory, final victory. And I thank you, Lord, that there are those among us who have experienced tremendous victory over the works of the flesh. Never dreamed they can be free from certain attitudes 
that they thought were part of them. We found out, Lord, that it's from the flesh, it's from the old nature. It doesn't belong here. Some who are maturing rapidly and who have hope for greater maturity will not relent but love you with a sincere heart become transformed conformed to the image of Christ more and more and those Lord who have been struggling those Lord who have been very weak against the battle with the flesh learning God means for me to destroy through the Holy Spirit every tendency and notion every attitude and thought in my thought life every persuasion that is contrary to the will of God to slay it thank you for giving hope to everyone the greater glory from you Lord that Christ may be honored through and through in our spirits our minds and our bodies so Jesus reigns 100% in our lives we can come to you Lord saying Lord I've presented myself to you a living sacrifice holy acceptable unto God is my expected debt reasonable service The power, the dunamis power of the gospel of Christ may be seen in me. Bring tremendous hope to multitudes. And finish well. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Oh, Father, I pray, go before everyone. Lord, we can experience your love, your majesty, Lord. It's all about you, Lord. We love you, we thank you, and praise you in Jesus' holy name. Minister, you healing, my God, I pray to those who are suffering in their bodies, Lord, afflicted in their minds, Lord. I thank you for your precious blood, Lord, Holy Spirit. I thank you for your guidance, your teaching, oh, Lord, for reminding us of all that the Lord Jesus spoke, being within us, Lord, to guide us when we're by ourselves, when we're on the highway, Lord, when we're at work, at home. You are with us. As we heard recently, that God is watching. God is watching everything to be conscious of your presence, Lord, in every activity, no matter how menial it seems. Our God is for us. He loves us. He's with us. We need to please you. It's the easiest thing to do in the whole world, the whole universe, because you're so easy to please, Lord. You give us the grace to please you. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord, I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.